Bienvenidos al Mestizo Podcast, the show for the mixed people of the mixed church. On this podcast, we explore the complicated challenges of being part of, serving in, and growing a migrant church in el siglo XXI. As first-generation immigrants age out of their leadership and the Mestizo Church transitions to the second and third generation, how does the migrant church continue to thrive? What should a migrant church look like today? These questions and more will we explore together with your hosts, Emanuel Padilla y la doctora Elizabeth Conde Frazier. Your hosts are Puerto Rican, so you're going to hear some Spanglish de vez en cuando here on the Mestizo Podcast. It's part of who we are. On this episode, we sit down with Dr. Liz Rios and Reverendo Iram Rios to discuss the dynamics of raising their special needs child, DJ. We discuss parenting and ministry, the role of humor and joy in a culture of erasure, and a theology of disability. So, sientas en casa, make yourself at home, and let's get started. Elizabeth, what's going on? How, how you been? Hanging in there. You know, this is Holy Week. The Lenten season is always a difficult time. It's almost like the enemy wants to say that he's got it going on. And we see difficult signs around us, difficult things are happening this week. But at the same time, we have to keep present the fact that the power of the resurrection is still the power of victory over these pieces and continue to be faithful. Amen. As we're recording this, it's Monty Thursday. I have been thinking about our service in Palm Sunday this past Sunday. Shout out to my church, The Brook. We we spent a lot of time thinking about the fact that the king was coming to Jerusalem to to victory, right? Even though it looks like defeat, victory. And uh, especially in these days of violence, I think that that's an important reminder that the king is on his way. And uh, yeah, so I'm with you in that, that the remembrance of Holy Week. Hey, let me say we got some giants with us today. I, I want to introduce you all to a couple folks. Uh, we have here with us Dr. Liz Rios, who has been in ministry for over 32 years, serving in various capacities across the church, including executive pastor, co-lead pastor. We also have her husband, Reverendo Iram Rios, with us. Iram and Liz officially started ministry in 1990. They started actually as youth ministers. We might talk about that a little later. They pastored together in a, in a local church in Florida and eventually planted their own church until they stopped pastoring in 2016. Reverendo Iram has a semi-retired focus on his family, especially as primary caregiver to his special needs son, and as a community minister via the Passion Center, where he hosts a monthly comedy show to bring laughter and joy to the, to the community in South Florida. Dr. Liz Rios is a talent acquisition manager for Urban Strategies. She also is president of a network called Passion to Plant, which you've heard about at World Outspoken quite a bit. Passion to Plant exists to encourage and support black and brown church planters committed to planting justice-oriented churches in urban communities right from the start. They have two children, Samuel Aliu, who recently graduated from Southeastern University and works part-time at Passion to Plant as operations assistant. And they also have a son named Daniel Jeremiah, who we will affectionately call DJ for the rest of the conversation. He's their silent prophet, their special angel, but he has a number of ailments, including epilepsy, cerebral palsy, and hydrocephalus uh, due to medical negligence. They've been married for 32 years after two years of dating, and we celebrate them. Welcome, Liz and Iram, to the show. Good to be here. Hey, how are you? I'm so excited to be on the show with you guys. Hi, guys. We, 
We are excited too. Let me also welcome new listeners. If you've not been with us in the Mestizo podcast, welcome to a mixed space, a space where we're say, we say that we live in the hyphen, neither aquí, neither allá, yeah. not from here or from there. If you're listening to the, for the first time, let me recommend that you go back and check out the first couple episodes of this third season of the show. We've had the Bantams on to talk about their book, Choosing Us, Mutual Flourishing in a World of Difference. We also had an episode where Elizabeth and I preview the season theme, which we're going to be dealing with the dynamics that exist between us as in-between people. And today's dynamic, as we talked about, is going to be the dynamic of parenting a special needs child like DJ while having a very public ministry. I'll also give you the announcement that if you've missed it, World Outspoken is now selling some merch that you can buy to support the shows, support all of our podcasts in our network, and support what we do while looking cool and having a great fit while you're doing it. Uh, let me recommend there's a crew neck that says product of Abuela's prayers on it. It celebrates the Abuelita theology that we've inherited. Let me recommend that you get that. It is fuego, mi gente, fuego. Last thing I'll tell you before we jump in, uh, if you have questions about the conversation that we have today, you can leave us a message at 312-725-2995. That's 312-725-2995. Leave us a 30-second voicemail with your name, city, y pregunta, and we'll discuss it on the last episode of the season. Uh, you can also submit questions using the link in the show notes to submit a type of question if you'd rather not call. All right. That's everything from me. Let's go ahead and jump in with the Rios family here. And let me start, Liz, I'll start with you. Tell us about DJ. What do we need to know about DJ? DJ is named after the profetas, Daniel Jeremias, Daniel Jeremiah. And he's our second child. Um, this year, he's gonna be 23 years old. And he's already a wonder because uh, since he was born, he's been doing exactly the opposite of what doctors expected. Um, and he gives us uh, a lot of hope. Um, he's a happy baby. Uh, he's known through the interwebs for those that follow us on social media for his magnificent crooked smile every time he comes out of a situation. Um, he's never uttered a word, yet he speaks through his presence. When he's not around, you feel it. He's never walked, but in this house, he stands tall as a giant of courage and strength in our household. Um, I would say that if I was ever in search of a role model, I don't need to look too far because DJ teaches me every day about contentment, courage, and the will to live in crazy times and things that you've never expected times. So um, that's my little boy. Um, and, and if you meet him, you know that he's special. And I'm not talking about his ailments. Oof. Go ahead, Didam, if you want to uh, add. No, what she said. <laughs> it's a special boy. Y'all affectionately call him your silent prophet. What do you mean by that phrase, silent prophet? Well, he, he speaks without saying a word. You know, he, he speaks that God is still there. What I was saying, God is still there. Sorry. Take over, Liz. Tag team. Tag team. <laughs> yeah, that's what we do, baby. So, you know, you know, when he was uh, in the NICU in New York City, uh, he, I have flown back to Florida because I was packing up our stuff because I didn't want to move him from New York to Florida because he was so fragile. And it was before my husband came back uh, to, to Florida to move us back to New York. And the moving company that we chose sent a lady to, to do the paperwork 
And lo and behold, she was a woman of faith. And she said to me that she needed to give us a word. And um, I'm a Pentecostal. So I was like, come on, bring the word, Lord. Uh, I was curious, though, because, you know, I don't just believe everybody's stuff. Right. So uh, I, I said, go ahead, go ahead and, and share the word. And what she said was, your son will survive and proclaim God's glory. So throughout his hospital stay, which he was there for um, like the first year of his life, and for the first five years of his life, that's the word that I held on to every time he was in precarious situations with his health. And I looked up the word proclaim and it meant to speak. So I'm in my head, you know, I'm like, Lord, I'm holding on to your word. And I know one day he's just going to speak. But as time progressed, I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted me to, to rethink what I was expecting. Mm-hmm. And and to believe that DJ could proclaim God's glory without saying a word. Right. And and from that time, we just started calling him our silent prophet because I believe his life is a testament to the miracle working God that we serve. He almost died on us three times already. One on Mother's Day of 2007. Resuscitated five times on Mother's Day. Resuscitated five times on Mother's Day. Uh, and then in October of last year, and then recently, uh, we just got out of the hospital last in, Tuesday. Uh, last Tuesday, so three times he almost died on us, and and every one of those times the doctors would say that oh he's not going to make it, but every one of those times he left them baffled. So if that's not proclaiming God's glory and the fact that God is the one who decides whether we stay or go, then I don't know what is. So I started calling him my silent prophet, and that's how our whole family looks at him because he may not utter a word but he's one of our greatest teachers yes you know what you just said is so uh important for us to think about in every situation and that is when god speaks a word to us we think we know what it means Mm. but god's the things of god are so deep that our human understanding and interpretation isn't always the one. And we have to wait and see how that will take place. We have an incarnated God, an embodied God. And to think that speaking is only about saying things. And now in the living through this experience, you've seen a greatness of God that you did not expect to see. Right. And these religious words that we throw around, like glory of God, etc., have opened up much broader than we ever imagined. And the revelations of God are hidden in these places that we don't expect and therefore we don't look. And if we continue to insist upon the things that are familiar of our theologies and so forth, we miss the greater things that God is trying to show us. How did you, how have you seen this take place throughout this journey? Well, I mean, definitely what you have said. Um, I think this journey has really helped me to reframe everything. 
you know, because we did think that, and especially in our community, Latino Pentecostal, we believe that that the glory of God is being able-bodied, right? We believe that the victory is in the healing. And, and really this has shown us that that's not necessarily the case. And we've learned as well that, you know, uh, and, and, and I think you mentioned him uh, recently, uh, uh, Amos Young, right? He talks about, and I appreciate his work because he's one of the theologians that has done a little deep dive into disability theology. But he mentioned too that um, he believes that there's a multiplicity of witnesses, right? Of, of God's glory. And that in that, I believe that's where DJ, DJ fits because he may not necessarily fit into the picture, as you said, um, Madalina, on what is, you know, the, the picture of, of, of normality, you know, or normalcy, you know, this, this is what we believe is perfection or, or what God wanted, God's ideal for us. And in saying that, we're basically saying that people that are, uh, that have disabilities are mistakes, right? That's what we're basically saying when we say that, you know, uh, this is the picture of, of what God wanted. And we don't understand, and, and, and me and um, Emmanuel were talking about white supremacy and how it's touched everything. Well, even, even that white supremacy has touched even the way we look at people and, and how we view people that are not able-bodied. So I believe that we still have a long way to go in our community as uh, how we have these discussions on disability because most of our um, discussions have centered around just charity for people uh, with disabilities and and the actions that you can do towards them like you know bendito theology that's what I call it bendito theology you know I'm you know let's let's do this because of that or whatever and I think um, we have to really do a little bit better with that but honestly nobody really does because it doesn't touch them personally. When do we we start thinking about things? When when we experience it, or somebody that we love experiences it, then that's when we take out uh, the books and we start doing the the research and and trying to understand this. Because that's what I did when this happened to me. My 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 boss um, at the time, Reverend Ray Rivera, he was so scared. He says, "Liz, I'm, I don't want you to intellectualize your pain." He would tell me that because I was reading ferociously. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna try to understand this. And and as the as the as the years pass by, I said I'm I'm not gonna understand this, and that's okay. That's okay. I don't need to understand this to understand God's sovereignty and that He chooses where He's gonna get involved and how He's gonna get involved. But that journey to get to that place whew, was 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 really hard. Crying a lot of times in darkness, a lot of times, and a lot of temper tantrums as well. That phrase, what a phrase of wisdom, don't intellectualize your pain. Uh, wow, I'm, I'm going to be thinking about that. Idam, I saw that you had another word you wanted to add there. Yeah, just to piggyback uh, off of her, when, when the doctors were talking about him and uh, they were saying, every time, right, babe, they would say, this is, doesn't look good. We're at a place now that we were like, you know, you do what you got to do, he's in God's hands. And every time we leave, the same doctors, especially last year and this year, they will come back and say, I have no clue what happened to your son. But we know this is God. God. God's in control. That's the way it is. But when this all happened with my son, she intellectualized it 
I went, I went bad. I went down. I was like hating God. I was like, no way. I'm a minister. You can't do that to a minister. What are you doing? I'm doing your work. And I went <laughs> took a dark road. We won't talk about that in this episode. But I took a dark road. But it was years after that and processing a lot of stuff where I'm at a point where even with, you know, people don't, I get everybody that when DJ comes out of the hospital, everyone says, God is good. God is good. But in my mind, I'm going, if he didn't come out of the hospital, God is still good. You see, that's the difference now. I wasn't like that before. He healed. Oh, he healed. He healed. He can heal. He can. I know he can heal, but he hasn't. God is still sovereign. God is still on the throne and God is still good. Even if he doesn't heal my son. That's where I'm at right now. In the place of my theology, he's still God. He's still good. But then my wife and I, I'm trying to hold this here. We've seen God and we talk about little miracles. First of all, I'll tell you the biggest miracle right now is that my wife and I are still married. That's a huge miracle. Yes. Huge. So that alone, if you didn't believe in God, (laughs) I God is so real because he healed my marriage. Amen. The issue with my son, going just, and I'll close with this issue with my son. I've seen so many little miracles that I know God is still good, but he has not healed my son yet. I can still have faith, right? He hasn't healed my son yet. Let me have a little faith here because uh, I still believe in that. But if he doesn't, he's still good. God is still good because I've seen him do little miracles in my marriage, little miracles with my son, and my son is still here today. Mm-hmm. Little. A little faith. You've had more than a little faith by just saying God is Amen. <laughs> and and I want to speak to the marriage piece of this because y'all have talked about our culture, nuestra gente, right? Especially within the Pentecostal tradition. Not everyone who listens to the Mestizo podcast is in the Pentecostal tradition, but many of us Latinos have a sense of the Pentecostal tradition. So uh, I want to bring up the fact that you've already connected it to the idea that Pentecostals think that the miracle is in the healing, right? There's a kind of assumption or expectation there. There's also an assumption and expectation about marriage and gendered ways that marriages will handle certain things. And I read in the introduction, Iram, you're the primary caregiver for DJ. We talked last episode with the Bantams about how they navigated some of the gendered expectations in migrant and black communities. Boy, do do our communities have some gendered expectations, right? Mm -hmm. They have some real expectations there. And I'd love to hear from you especially as you've already brought up your marriage. How did you guys decide? I don't know who to start with. I don't know if I should start here with Iram or Liz. I'll let y'all choose. Uh, Liz, we'll start with you. How did you decide that Iram would be the primary caregiver, um, especially as you navigate calling, vocation, those pieces? Well, uh, throughout our marriage, we never had that hang up. So I'm just going to put it out there. You know, we never had that, you know, uh, the, the man does this or the woman does that. Um, and, and the law saw fit to give me a man that was secure enough in himself to never feel like we had to have those societal pre-described roles, um, even as Latinos, you know, because we have that machismo in our community sometimes. Um, but there were times in our marriage be, before this time that, that he would stay home with the kids and I worked. And there were times when I didn't work and I homeschooled my, my oldest and cared for DJ. So we always... Well, you know, did that tag team in our marriage, you know, okay, it's your turn, it's my turn, whatever, depending on what was the, the necessity at the time. And, and at this time, it was simply because uh, not only financially it made sense, but also because I, I had two hernias. And um, I recently had, uh, in February, I had hernia surgery. And the doctor was like, por favor, chica, you know, please, 
Can you not lift anymore? Nothing lift heavier than 10 pounds because if you have a third a hernia surgery, I'm gonna have to put some mesh in and it's not gonna be good, it's a foreign body. So anyway, he was basically telling me do not lift. So, so financially and physically, it was the best decision because Hiram um, can pick him up at any moment's notice, I can't. So if he needs something if we, or we need to move him from, from wheelchair to bed, um, even though we have a, a lift, uh, it's it's the, the faster thing because sometimes we need to do things quickly because he has a seizure disorder. Um, we he's the best one to do it. So that's that's basically how we did it. It wasn't like you're the 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 woman and you stay home and you just cooking in none of that. It was what what is necessary at the time and and what makes the most sense for us in this time because as we say and as our mothers before us said, nadie vive la vida de nosotros. Nobody lives our life. Right. So because of that, we don't listen to what other people may think or say. We do what's best for our family. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And we definitely have switched many times. But his his uh, disability and has gotten, I would say, progressively getting worse. But also, he's getting heavier. So he's 22 years old, but we still talk like he's a baby. But he's 22 years old. And... So we definitely didn't want that to happen. But um, uh, I have this this thing with my son that um, I'll do whatever it takes for my family. But when it comes to DJ, I'll be like, you continue doing what you got to do. I don't want you to worry about my son, our son at all. I'm going to take care of him. And she'll obviously she'll jump in with, with, when she can and little things, you know. Uh, but um, right now we're at this place where she cannot lift him. If he was to have, a, a, let's say, a coughing uh, episode, you have to lift his head up. She can't even lift him. So little things like that. Um, but right now I'm at a place where I'm going to do whatever it takes. And, and right now she's, she has the, the job with the money and the, the benefits. And I have my little little gigs on the side. But um, I'm just happy and proud to be taking care of my son. I don't find it as anything, oh, the women's supposed to do this. No, I'm very proud. And I'm going to do it until I can't. That's an example that needs to be practiced a great deal more, even if we're not dealing with the special needs child, we just need to be able to find ways for us to do what is most practical in marriages, right? Uh, in my case, my husband has MS. And throughout the years, we've had to change those roles as well, as we, as we go throughout uh, what that means and so forth. But I've seen too many marriages allow their socialization process, which is an outside process that we learn to internalize, uh, take over. And then what we do is we marry the scriptures to what it is that culture has uh, designated for us. Talk about the strength that it takes, Hiram, especially for you as a man in society, because other men see you or talk about you in particular ways when you're not taking on those real man kind of things, right? When you're the one being a caregiver, when you're the one being tender, when you're the one who, who can cry and allow himself to cry, when you're the one who can uh, use his emotions, which supposedly our weakness, but they are your strength. Talk about what that has meant for you to come and 
be able to say here today, I am proud. Yes, excellent question. And there's a story in my old house in Pembroke Pines, my wife will know. DJ, we didn't have a wheelchair. I thought, no, we, he had a wheelchair, we didn't have a ramp. Mm-hmm. I forgot his name, babe. The, the, anyway, yeah, I, so. yeah, I forgot his name, but awesome brother. And um, they we knew them from a church and then he was a carpenter. And I told him, hey, I need a ramp, you know, made it. And he came to my house. He took from the garage, he took measurements. And in my brain, I'm going, listen, if you have time, let me, I'll buy the wood. I'll do what I got to do. And uh, and I'll get back to you, you know. And he took measurements. And he left. I said, thank you, brother. You know, if you can help me out, do me a solid, help me out. He came back like two hours later with the ramp already made. Didn't ask for my money. Didn't ask for, for wood. Didn't ask for, I'm going to pay, I'm going to charge you this. Put the ramp down. I was like, but what? listen, let me give you something. And he said that scripture, and it's in Matthew, I believe. He says, God told him what you do to the least of these, you do to me. And that just stuck with me because I, I feel like I'm doing that for my son. What you do for the least of these, we do to him. I even in, in that, in the message talks about what you do to the, to the, un, the, the forgotten you do to me. What you do for the unseen, you do to me. You did it for me. That's why I do this. I don't care what anyone says. I know God sees me taking care of my son. And I want to add to that, that the person that, that you hear right now is not the person that started out on this journey. DJ changed both of us. Yes. He, he changed us both. And, and I always say that his birth was our rebirth because we, we, we saw things differently. We, it changed us on the inside. It changed the way we view the world, our worldview, oh, yeah. our, our um, interaction with both of, you know, with each other. So, so it, this, this uh, person that, that you, that you hear that can be emotional as a man, um, it's because of DJ. It's because of the impact that DJ had on his life that, that he was able to look at himself and be able to, see what areas he needed to change. And he, he, he uh, referenced earlier the fact that our marriage, you know, it's a miracle. And, you know, 85% of marriages, especially these children, don't survive. Um, and so that's why early in our marriage, we had talked about that too. Like I read that statistic and I was like, babe, you know, uh, what are we going to do here? And, and we almost di- did not make it, you know, but um, because of DJ, again, and learning from the unspoken words that, his life spoke to us. We learned about putting things on the table, about you know going through the hard things, mm-hmm. and um, and we're here today because of because the way DJ impacted our life, you know. Yeah, he's taught me patience, be more be more humble, <laughs> more caring. There's there's hurting people out there, you know, and he's definitely taught me that. I think it's really important to note that DJ has changed both of you, that we're having a conversation where we're looking back on some of those changes, some yes. of the dark times, as um, as Iran mentioned, some of the ways in which uh, our theologies have developed. I think it's also helpful to pause in these conversations to give even our, our listeners an, an opportunity to... <laughs> you know, breathe, right? Uh, as these things are important. So we're gonna take a quick musical break. And then when we jump back in, I actually wanna talk about the 
the unseen that, that Idam brought up, right? This idea of the unseen. So we'll take a break and then we'll jump back in. We have been talking about loving DJ with uh, the Rios. Both of them uh, have a public ministry. They have been working with many ministries, Freedom Road, Passion to Plant, Pastoral Ministries. These are involved people. And while they've been involved, they've also loved their special needs son, DJ. I want to bring up a quote from a disability justice advocate. Her name is Mia Mingus. She is a person of color as well as uh, an advocate of special needs uh, people or differently abled people. I'm pulling the quote from a book called The Right to Maim. I recommend it to you, audience, as you think about these conversations. It's written by Jasbir Puar, and it's an excellent book about the ways in which disability and race interact. You know, Liz brought up white supremacy earlier. Well, Mia Mingus, she says this, uh, she highlights populations for whom claiming the term and identity of disability is difficult given many are already stigmatized as non-normative and deemed in need of fixing by the medical industrial complex. Claiming that the quote, disabled people who identify as politically disabled are often white disabled people. Mingus continues, quote, over and over I meet disabled women of color who do not identify as disabled even though they have the lived reality of being disabled. And this is for many complicated reasons around race, ability, gender, access. It can be very dangerous to identify as disabled when your survival depends on you denying it. I bring that quote up. You two aren't the disabled ones in this conversation. And yet you've been very public in a, in a culture that would rather you keep this unseen to quote what Iran brought up earlier. You've been very public about your life with DJ. Why have you continued to share about DJ in a culture that would encourage you to remain private? Well, first I wanna say that I actually am disabled. It's just an unseen disability and I'm deaf from one ear. And uh, I never identify as, as a person with a disability for those very reasons. I don't want to get denied a job just because I can't hear from one ear. I have made accommodations for that. Um, I don't wear anything because at the time, you know, um, I, I had that because of the mumps. I don't know what my mother was waiting for before she took me to the doctor. Um, my, you know, I already looked like an elephant by the time she took me, and uh, it was already too uh, too late. I had uh, nerve deafness, but but I am disabled. If you want to, you know, put it down to the to to the to the you know reality of it. Um, and I've also never, um, you know, talk about it unless people think I'm ignoring them because they're talking in the wrong ear, my left ear, and they think that I'm just being rude. And I have to tell them, oh, I'm sorry, I'm deaf. And and that's why I haven't responded to you. So it only comes up in those situations. Um, and, and or when I wear only one earbud and they're like, why is she doing that? But <clears throat> excuse me, um, as far as why we've chosen to be public about it, 
one of the things that we have found um, is that even throughout this journey, there there have been people that think that that we don't go through things because at one time we didn't share. I had a friend who told me that um, you know that I, that we always look like we're strong and this and that, and it would be nice to hear that we go through some of the things that other people go through, and and made me think. It made me think, and I said, you know what? That's true. I, I'm 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 going to share because. I'm, right now, I'm an open book. I mean, uh, you know, you, you, what do you want to hear about? I'll tell you. You know, I'm not. I'm not afraid of that. And it, it really gave me that aha moment. And um, and that's why I share my social media platforms about that we too cry, that we too have um, battles with our faith, that we too get mad, and that we too have questions. And and that's the journey on this side of heaven. And if I think there's too many things that that the capital C church has, has kind of modeled for us if they haven't necessarily um, said it out right, that hide the things that doesn't um, show that God is this, um, you know, the God that we talk about, you know, this miracle working God, because we're, we're still waiting for the miracle. We're still waiting for things to change. And I feel like we've, we've um, put the focus on the wrong things because like, like Hiram said earlier, there's everything in life. I think Albert Einstein said this, and I'm not sure, um, you know, if I say it wrong, uh, you know, look it up on Google. I don't know. But I remember <laughs> the uh, the quote was, you know, you can look at life like everything is a miracle or like everything isn't. Right. And I feel like this is this is how we live our life. Like everything is a miracle. The fact that we woke up in the morning is a miracle. The fact that we can see is a miracle. The fact that DJ has not had to use oxygen since he's come out of the hospital this last time is a miracle. The fact that we haven't had to suction him every night a few times a night is a miracle. Um, you know, and the fact that that we are still loving God is a miracle. The right. fact that we are still doing ministry when we've had tons of questions that still to this day remain unanswered is a miracle. So, so that's why we share, because I think everything that we leave in the darkness does not reveal how God is working in our lives and how right. we evolve. So it, it, in years before, you know, everything that we kept in the dark, that's where the devil works, right? In the darkness, keeps the, the novelas are concocted in the darkness. So we don't, we don't give room for that. We're like, look, this is what is really happening. And we answer the questions as they come in our life. And just to add to what, what she said, too, we've also seen even on social media that people's faith has grown because of what we share about DJ. You know, people are, you know, I can't, you know, I, they DM me her privately or me. Your son is what an example, what the faith, you know, we have your son has uh, built my faith. So letting him be seen out there is helping other people. We don't even know. Millions of people, like the, the millions of people didn't wake up this morning. We did. <laughs> so that's a miracle. But many people are looking at his story and their faith is being built up. And I, I love that. But people are also looking at your story mm -hmm. and their faith is being built up. And I think that a really important thing that's happened here during this podcast today is that the two of you have been doing theology. You've been doing theology just as you, you've been doing this throughout your life and you've been doing theology here for us, which is very important, right? What you just said, Liz, that the church wants to see this Jesus, the King in victory. Well, that denies a whole lot of things about Jesus, right? 
that almost denies his humanity. And it's only looking at his divinity. So it's denying the very foundational aspects of our faith that Jesus can identify with us because Jesus came to experience life the way that we do. And that means what people would deem victorious and what people would not necessarily deem victorious, mm. right? Dying on a cross is not exactly deemed victorious, That's right. especially not in that time. And yet that cross is our sign of victory. And we haven't really stopped to think about what that truly means, that the cross is our sign of victory. The cross is a sign of shame. It's a sign of, um, of, of not having victory. It's a sign of, of, of having failed. It's a sign of everything has, has gone kaput. Things didn't go according to how anyone at the time would have wanted or thought. None, none of his disciples, certainly not his family who loved him. Uh, none of that took place. He was a troublemaker. Um, they wanted him to disappear. You know, all of those things. And yet that story and that symbol is the one that we choose. But then we want a theology that says otherwise. Mm. And what you have done here today for us is to remind us of the cross, is to bring us back to that peace, right? And there's yet another sign of a miracle. And that is, Hiram, I hear that you... You do a comedy piece. I got to hear this. You got to tell us how you do this comedy piece, where it comes from, from within you, what it is that you see in others that had you uh, move compassionately toward the community in this way. Tell us a little more about that. That's really important. Awesome. Um, so as a kid, I was always, you know, in my family, the Chalatang, I'm the baby. I have this four sisters and another older brother. I'm the baby. And I've always been the chalatan. Always had a thing about making my mother laugh. And um, so I, I just, even even going in, this, in the junior high school, whatever, I was the class clown. I just had this gift that God gave me of just bringing joy to people. Everyone, I, whoever's around me is going to feel joy. Whoever's around me is going to laugh. And I take that as a gift. And um, But as a child, as a, as a young kid, I've just always been that way. And uh, even when my family gets together now, it's like my, my oldest sister, I have four sisters. If we were to get together now, we would be holding our bellies in because we would just start talking and we all start laughing. Um, but I've always had that gift. And I, I call it a gift because it is a gift. God and made I, you a funny guy. I, yes. And I'll take that. And I'll take and that. And that's part of God's uh, image. I, exactly. And I, I brought that to my sermons. I brought that to my storytelling. But then uh, in... Uh, 2015, I, I, I started a, a, a comedy class. I said, I'm just going to do it. I've always liked watching comedy. I took a comedy class. Long story short, we had a celebration. We had the graduation. And then from that day on, I started doing comedy. However, I didn't want to be in the comedy clubs. I had to do comedy clubs because you had to use your material. So I went to different places, but it's not my background. I don't, I don't, I don't like the comedy scene, comedy club scene. And so... Um, uh, one of the things in our marriage, I wanted to, to help marriages. So I became the marriage comic on Instagram and, and Facebook, the marriage comic. And, and my, 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 uh, my oh, theme was cool. making, making marriages laugh again, a spinoff from the other administration, but it was making marriages laugh again. 
<laughs> so from there, we I started doing that. I started doing some churches here. I did I did a church in in Florida. Here. I did I did a New York New York church, uh, 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 all for couples and all that. So that was my heart was helping marriages come back together, laugh again. So, but when the pandemic hit, um, we 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 frequent a restaurant here, El Toscano, in Pembroke Pines, and we know them well. And they were um, uh, um, just a good family. It's a Latino family too, and uh, we just we just started seeing a lot of hatred and just a lot of craziness at that time, you know, past administration. And it was just a lot of just a lot of hatred in this area. Just a lot of just people were just angry. And my wife and I, we just, you know, we just started thinking about it. And then we told the, the restaurant, Hey, what do you think about doing a comedy show here? Let's just bring some joy. There's a lot of hatred. There's a lot of craziness out here. Let's just try to bring some joy to the community. And, uh, and he said, yes. And we did it in a small room. Fits about sixty people. We sold it out the first time, and then it was a great success. Then the the owner said, "Hey, take the whole restaurant. Now we can we can do one hundred and two, one hundred two people, one hundred and five. Um, and so we've been doing it every every third Thursday of the month, and uh, it's, we're on our third year. Comedy club, man. Well, we call it the the community is called the West Pines Comedy Room, and we're bringing, like I said, joy to the community once a month. Um, and uh, I think it's been a success not only for the restaurant, but a success for the comedy show. We bring professional com comedians. I'm the host. I'll always throw in some of my jokes, but um, uh, really, I'm just the host. And we just bring in real real comedians, and it's just been a, a great time. And we're, we're seeing the joy. People are talking about it. And we we, rec we say this, is, this comedy show is brought to you by the Passion Center. And um, bringing joy to the community because we all need joy. We're tired of crying with tired of hatred we're going to bring joy out there babe you want to jump in add to this yeah well i think that you know that we're, we're taping this during holy week and a lot of people you know skip through marjorie thursday and they skip through what is known as black saturday but also is known as joyous saturday so mm. part of that journey right that we mm. go through is that there's going to be pain there's going to be questions but there's also going to be joy and like hiram said you know uh, and, you know, he's, he has a gift. He's always had a gift of, of laughter. And in this house, we laugh a lot. And, 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 and we even laugh as we're crying because we've had right. those situations as well. But for us, you know, it's not just a coping mechanism that we, we, we wanted to help people through when they were going through their stuff during, like, as he said, past administrations, <laughs> um, because we needed a lot of laughter during that time. But also um, because laughter is a response to miracles. If we could call Sarah, right? If people laughed, right? Mm -hmm. She laughed because mm -hmm. God gave her a miracle. Mm -hmm. So come on, you know, like, like we, we just, this is another thing that we really overlook as a theological way to respond to life. You know, laughter is a miracle as well. And then also, I mean, come on, everybody goes through times when they have a broken heart. And, you know, again, Proverbs tells us about that a cheerful heart is good medicine. Right. Mm -hmm. So so for us, you know, the comedy uh, room that, that we started is a way, an extension of bringing that joy, because we talk about the Passion Center and we also it's a healing ministry. It is a healing ministry. And there are books out there that tie laughter to theology. I saw it on Amazon. I don't remember their names, but look it up. Comedy theology. And um, and we have seen people come to us for prayer after cancer. Uh, to pray for them about all these different things. And how did they get to know us? They know us because of the comedy show. Yeah. And they know that we're ministers and they, you know, come to us for a, a, a slew of things. 
but it was the it was the laughter and the joy that they experienced during a time of of pain or 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 uh, illness or even you know guilt and shame and and that brought them to a place where you know what I, I want to be able to talk about it so so we kind of merged those two things together very non-traditional for the church community we know but as you already know as we already stated we don't care we do what we believe God calls us to do right and yeah. just to just want to add to that also then and my wife she just mentioned it too many people even from the show itself has come up to us she said I needed this tonight this I I was I just got diagnosed with cancer and I just or I, my mother you know somebody passed away they just came up to us her or I say I needed this thank you so much for bringing joy to the community we've gotten those conversations and then I have two quotes on my on my website if I could just plug it hiringreelscomedy.com but I have two quotes in the in the in that I put on there I want everybody to see and this is part of who we are and it says this I have not I have not seen anyone dying of laughter, but I know millions who are dying because they're not laughing. Dr. Amade Katria. The other one is laughter is God's hand on the shoulder of a troubled world. That's on my website. Those those are the things I wanted to see there. And um, and that's what I feel the Passion Center and the Comedy Room is all about. I love that. I love this um, dynamic that we're developing as we think about laughter in relation to questions and doubts. Um, Liz, you did a good job of bringing that up in terms of Saturday. Easter is such a is such a disorienting uh, liturgy, isn't it? In terms of the death of the Son of God on Friday, the silence of Saturday, and then we have Easter. Right? It's it's such a disorienting kind of liturgy that we repeat every year over year as the church. Frankly, it's one of the things that makes us strange as a, as a community, right? As an expression of religious faith. And when the resurrection begins with disorientation, nobody knows what to do with it. Uh-huh. Right? That's right. That's it's, right. It's a, whole, it's a whole flip-flop. It's a whole the unexpected. You know, it's everything All that we're talking yeah. about this. Yes. Yeah. So it just flips everything around in such a, you know, weird kind of a way. It's, it's unbelievable. Right? Yeah. So yeah. I want to ask about that because I feel like the 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 oriented question, I, should, I, I use oriented here to mean normal, the normal questions that people ask when when disability, when when maiming. Uh, Elizabeth, I'm going to put you I'm going to transition for you from host to guest here on this one, too, because I want to hear your answer to this, too, with, with your husband. The, the normal thing that happens is that people ask ask questions about why. Right. Why did God allow this to happen to me or to my family? Why is this happening to my husband or my son, right? When you're struck with those questions, what are the, how have you responded to them? Or maybe, maybe it's better to ask, how has God responded to those questions with you, right? So let me, let me hear from all of you. Iram, you started us with this conversation about joy and laughter, but I, but I want to hear how, how you tackle the other side of this as it comes up. You know, uh, again, that the, the journey took me a while to get here, but um, I, and I don't want to sound cliche, you know, all those oh, God can won't give you anything you can't handle, you know what I mean? So, but apparently He gave us this, and he gave us our son this way, because uh, He saw in us that we can do it. And you know, is it a hard journey? Yes, it is. But um, I'm at a place, you know, why I, I stopped saying why He just He allowed it. Again, He allowed it, and we're here. We're gonna deal with it day by day. I really don't have a real a, a strong answer other than that he just gave it to us and we're dealing with it and he's given us the strength to continue with him 
Yeah, I, I don't, um, we live in a fallen world, right? And so I don't, I don't think that necessarily this is what God's ideal was for us, you know, like as far as this is, I'm going to give a, a special needs child, you know, but I also believe that he didn't make a mistake and look at every, all the good that has come out of, of having a, a special child. I say special child because he's special. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not afraid of the why question. I remember when, when we were first dealing with this, um, a, a family member, older family member asked, uh, well, actually told me, don't ask why. She was like, no le pregunte a Dios por qué, eso, eso no es bueno. She said, don't ask God why, that's not good. But guess what I did right after I got out of the fog of being in the hospital? I did a Wednesday service in my church with the title, you can ask God why. And, um, and it was, and it was an honest response because we, we have to be able, God is, he wants us to ask him questions. He wants us to be in dialogue with him. He doesn't want us to be afraid to, 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 to let him know how we feel. He already knows that, but he, he's interested in the dialogue, in the process of what is doing to us and how he's becoming real in our lives through that process. So, you know, again, I, I, I learned that in that process and I answered this, God is sovereign. And he decides how he's going to intervene. I, I came to that that place a while ago. Like Hiram said earlier, we're at a place now um, that even though it hurts us and it, it really like it really crushes our heart when they tell us uh, at, when we're at that edge when they're like, "Look, he, I don't think he's going to make it," and we're like bawling, crying. Um, but we also know that he's been a gift that was on loan to us. Yes, and and we yes. give him back to God if that's what God so desires. Um, and 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 also. I, I respond to people sometimes too, because there was this, this gentleman that used to go to our church and he would tell us all the time, what about if he's the normal one? Remember him? <laughs> yeah. And I say, yes. Have you considered that maybe we're the ones that need the healing and not right. DJ, right. you know, have you considered the fact that we're the ones with this, you know, normal, you know, normal biases that, that, that we consider uh, God made a mistake with the disabled or the incapacitated or the incapable or the abnormal. We're the ones that are always giving these labels. Right. But but I go back to what he said. What about if he's the normal one? And yep. and he teaches us so much by not being the one that does everything that everybody expects normal people to do. He also he also said that there's not one ounce of hatred in DJ's DJ's heart. There's not one ounce of evil in DJ's heart, and we call him special needs yeah yeah that's right and and the thing too and, and amos young mentioned this as well in one of his uh, books that what we don't realize as people that that are in uh, able-bodied people for, for you know for the use of labels is that we really are temporary able-bodied right because we come in dependent on people and we're gonna leave dependent on people so maybe we shouldn't get so comfortable with our able-bodiedness because somewhere along the journey, not only because we're, we're going to get older, and, and that's a good thing. I, I prefer getting older than to the alternative, but also that this is how we came into the world. So maybe we, sh we shouldn't, uh, our thinking of, of disability should change just because of that fact. That's really good. Elizabeth, can I hear from you? Is it okay to, sure. to ask you this question? Sure. In my husband's in my journey, what we've realized is that Christianity, particularly here in the West, and especially for us here in the United States, 
we live out of a theology of vacuna. You know, the theology of vaccination against life. Mm -hmm. We think and we preach that if you're in Christ, then, you know, Jesus has all the answers and uh, this won't touch you and that won't touch you. And that's the focus that we show. Those are the, the verses that we choose to focus on. But there are texts of trauma and terror and all kinds of other things that take place that we don't preach on. And so we don't always know that they're there. Those texts are still in the dark for us, right? So that's that's the theology of la vacuna, that we've been, once you become a Christian, you get vaccinated against life and bad things won't touch you, right? Or supposedly bad things won't touch you. And my husband was uh, an athlete. If you check his record, he was uh, the fastest man in the US in the uh, 10 meter dash and he was on his way to the Olympics. And MS started to show up in his life. So he missed a really important race because his leg didn't respond. And no one knew what he had because he's, he's an African-American man and MS was considered a disease of uh, white women, which he was neither of. So it was very difficult to diagnose before uh, once before we were married and, and knew what was up, right? What was taking place. And he always, he, he considers the question of why a journey, a, a question of journey. Uh, it's, a, it's a human response to something that takes place in our lives. And like Liz said, who else do we dialogue with than God? If God is important in your life, then you have that dialogue with, with God. God is interested in having the dialogue with us. The indifference that we might show or lying to ourselves and lying to God by not asking the question is not what God's interested in. God is interested in having our anger and having us rant and rave and having us curse him if that's what we feel is necessary in that moment. Because, you know, anger is, a, is, is part of the journey of grief and you're grieving the loss of something. And so it's a question of lament. Yeah. The why question is a question of lament. And Elizabeth, to your point, uh, I want to bring up this uh, psalm. I'm pretty sure it's Psalm 88. Unlike the other psalms that always end with, you know, some transition from the kind of lament to, oh, you know, praise God he saw me or praise God he's responded. I think Psalm 88 is one of the only psalms that doesn't have that peace. It, it laments all the way through to the very end. Mm -hmm. And so that does exist. There are opportunities in scripture to see God's people pray strictly the lament piece without hearing a response from God. So it's a lament question. And lament questions journey us through a wilderness and take us to a different place, a place of breakthrough, not because the situation has broken through, but because our understanding has broken through to a new place. Right. And so that's what's taking place, though. The, the, when the question comes from others, it's a question of their expression of compassion or their expression of fear. Oh, I hope that never happens to me. Let me understand why this happened, because I don't want that happening to me. Right. And it's a question of how their um, perfect life might be broken up 
if they do the wrong thing. So let's ask why, so that we don't come near this and we don't catch this germ and you know, it doesn't happen to us. And I can remember one time we went to this service. I was preaching at it and my husband, where they put the wheelchairs in this particular church was you know, up toward the front. So he's sitting up toward the front and the altar was filled with so many people that it became mixed with the front row. And so when they were giving out oil, my husband must have received so much oil. I mean, he was he was he was lathered in oil completely because he said that everybody that came by, whether they were coming to the altar or praying at the altar, everybody put oil on him. <laughs> and he goes, let me tell you, he said That's wild. And he, and you know, he has this little wry sense of humor, right? So I told him, I said, you know, I'm sorry this was so long, right? Because this is ha happening all in Spanish. There wasn't necessarily, you know, bilingual service and stuff like that. And so, you know, he's, he's sitting there very patiently. And when we're coming out to the parking lot and, you know, and I had this weird van. It, it wasn't working right. The, the, the ramp wasn't working right. And, you know, that could be frustrating, all these things. And I was tired and I couldn't push the wheelchair up the ramp and all of this. But still... My, I asked him, how, how, how did you feel about this? He goes, if I could take all this oil that I have on my head and put it on the bottom of these wheels, this, this chair would have been racing up, into, up this ramp right now. That's hilarious. <laughs> and then he was telling me how everybody came back. They just slapped him with some oil, right? And he goes, the answer for me is not to be like healed in the ideal the way people see. He says, people don't know how my life has changed to, to better things. I'm yeah. a much better man, right? I'm a much better man. And so we may not have all the answers to these pieces, but we, we do have the dialogue. We do have the lament. We do have the place of breakthrough that comes after the lament and the, and the wilderness. And in light of someone else's fear, we have the little miracles that Hiram was talking about. Yeah. Right? And we have the, the humor. Because let me tell you, without humor, it would not be the happening thing. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. My oh, friend yeah. and I, we used to help each other. Her father was blind. And my husband, you know, was in this wheelchair. And every now and then, caregivers need to kind of get together. And we would get together and... Instead of venting, we would just like turn everything into a joke. We were hysterical laughing at a Starbucks or in the car or, you know, sitting in a park looking at birds. We were hysterical laughing. And then we said, you know, if somebody listened to the content of what we were laughing about, they would think that we were some really cruel women, you know, that we're making fun of the people that we're caregiving. But the truth is that my husband would make the jokes himself as well. Her father was hysterical. He was hilarious. And it brought to real life what it means that God is in our midst. Amen. You know, as we think about that fear piece, I know that uh, Liz, Iram, you both have heard all sorts of fear responses from all sorts of folks, right? People in your churches that don't know how to process 
your your health regarding this issue, right? The fact that that you've that you've learned and passed through the wilderness, as as Liz mentioned. So let me thank you for bearing witness in today's episode to a non-fear response, right? To an honest, loving, to to uh, to a very real and 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 God honoring response to life with DJ, right? To our silent prophet, as you mentioned. He hasn't been on the episode. We haven't heard him today, and yet we've heard him, right? Yes. We've heard him today. Amen. And so so thank you for for sharing with us about about life and ministry. Do you have a closing word that you want to give to to our listeners today? Uh well I would say, you know, again, because we are recording this during Holy Week is learn how not to rush to resurrection day learn to sit in those moments when there's pain because it's really in the pain that we learn more about god and ourselves than in the moments of victory Mm -hmm. amen what a word yeah same i i I echo her also but breathe this weekend just breathe amen to that brother well on that note, we want to let the episode breathe and wrap up. Uh, next episode will happen uh, a couple weeks. Like I said, every episode every two weeks here. Our next episode is actually with Dr. Nancy Bedford. She's a systematic theologian and professor at Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary. Uh, she's going to be talking about motherhood and vocation. If you don't know Dr. Bedford, prepárate. She is a real one. And we're very, very excited to have her on the show. Uh, If you have questions, doubts, concerns that you want to bring up in regards to the conversation that we have, if you want to share your story, again, you can leave us a voicemail at 312-725-2995-312-725-2995. Leave us a 30-second voicemail with your name, your city, and your thought, and we'll share it on the last episode of the season. I'll say one last thing before we wrap up. You know that World Outspoken now has a learning center. You can go to learn.worldoutspoken.com to take courses that face that deal with the issues that you face as your congregation deals with cultural change. So there are three courses that are already available, one on change readiness by Dr. Joan Solis Walker, one on language difference by Dr. Itzel Medurisoto, and one on cultural identity by Doctora Michelle Reyes. La doctoras are showing out in these courses. So you can go ahead and take an online course with us if you're interested in learning and deepening your thoughts on cultural change as you face these things in tu iglesia. Follow us on social media at World Outspoken. Follow Aeth and all that it's doing. It's been doing these Saturday conversatorios, Aeth has. They've been amazing. Elizabeth Robert Char Romero and Pastora uh, Gautier were on this past Saturday doing a conversation of why focus on the church it was brilliant. So follow I, uh, the Association for Hispanic Theological Education, for more events like that. And also follow the Passion to Plant Network, the Passion Center. Are there any other things that we want to plug, Iram, for the comedy that people can follow? Um, West Pines Comedy Room on Facebook. Yeah, and and Instagram, um, the Marriage Comic myself, and Hiram Reels Comedy. I'm going to leave you a link. You can use it for yourself. This is a little thing about my wife, so you don't have to share this, but this is for you guys. Watch it on your own time. Hey, we will. We will. Well, gracias, familia. Elizabeth, you get the last word. There is no last word on this. The last word is continue to trust. Continue to trust. Continue the journey. Amen. And on that one, se acabó.